Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. You have your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Psalms. I'll be in Psalm chapter 90. We continue our series playlist, Psalms seeking uh, uh, Psalms about seeking God. The Psalms are great. They should be in every believer's playlist. They've, they're songs, they're prayers, they contain wisdom. If you want to know how to pray, turn to the book of Psalms and start reading. You'll find a prayer probably that will resonate with you, that can teach you how to pour out your heart to God and cry out to Him. And so we're going to look at uh, a unique Psalm today, uh, Psalm 90. Now, most of the Psalms were written by David, but today I've got one for you. Here is a Psalm that was written by Moses. So it's definitely older than all the other Psalms because Moses was around long before King David was. But before we get into that, in June of 2020, news broke that buried treasure had been found in the Rocky Mountains. So it goes the story as it unfolded that this went back over a decade. A guy by the name of Forrest Finn hid a million dollars in treasure in the Rocky Mountains. Periodically, he would, he would give clues online of where this treasure would be. He even published an autobiography called The Thrill of the Chase, and in his autobiography, he had a 24-line poem that gave clues to where this treasure could be. When it was first announced that the treasure was hidden out west, hundreds of people began to search for it. One media outlet reported, quote, Many quit their jobs to dedicate themselves to the search and others depleted their life savings and at least four people are believed to have died searching for it. Now, without judging these treasure hunters too harshly, do you think the people that depleted their life savings and the four people that died searching for it, do you think they were living for here and now or for an eternal reward? You don't have to answer that question. It's obvious. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today is living with an eternal perspective. That's what this Psalm 90 is about, living with an eternal perspective. And it gets me to thinking, in our day-to-day, are we deliberately focusing on the things that matter that will last 100 years from now? Or do we get caught up in the thrill of the chase and focus on the next thing, the next idea? Uh, It's real easy to do. In Psalm 39, I want to give you this real quick. In Psalm 39, the Bible tells us, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. Boy, wouldn't it be good if we were aware of how short life is? You know, I remember when my uh, dad was diagnosed with throat cancer, It's been uh, a few years ago, and they said, if you don't have something done, you won't live five years. Well, he has now lived five years. And so, you know, even the best doctors, they can't give you an expiration date. Only God knows that, okay? And so, uh, but when you you get news like that, it shakes you. It makes you realize, wow, I I don't know how much time I have. What am I going to do with what I've got? And if we only knew how short our lives really were. James 4.14 says, You do not know what tomorrow will bring, 
what your life will be, for you're like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You know, our lives are like that late Cumberland morning fog. It sets in and it's real thick and you're like, man, this is going to be rough driving this morning. And then you blink and two hours later, it's gone. And that's how short our lives are. Someone said that a wasted life is really nothing more than a collection of wasted days. And think about it. God gives us 365 days every year. And we can either be deliberate and intentional on focusing on eternal things that matter. Or we can drift and just go through life going from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. Well, look, if you will, in Psalm 90. And I want to point out a few things. Notice that it says in the little script there at the beginning that it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So Moses wrote this psalm and it was preserved for us in God's word. Now I want to give you a little background on Moses before we read this psalm. I'm reminded of Moses was spoken of in what we call the hall of of faith, uh, Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. If you read Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, The entire chapter is about faith and it highlights people throughout biblical history that live their life by faith. They were heroes of the faith, if you will. And one of them mentioned is Moses. And in Hebrews 11, 24, look what it says about Moses. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Did you catch that? Moses lived his life in the moment by looking ahead to the reward. And then it says, By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. Now there's a few things I want you to notice there. Uh, Moses here, when he grew up, he didn't embrace the privileged life. He he knew what his roots were. He, He knew he was a part of the people of God. And so it says here that he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin and the treasures of Egypt. How many times do us, we get sucked into life and we focus on treasure and pleasure? That's what the world does. The world focuses on treasure and pleasure. They focus on the things that make me feel good right now. But here's the question. That's natural. There's nothing wrong with that. That's natural man doing what feels natural. But does that last? Does that last? Is that pleasure going to last? Is that treasure really going to be worth it 10 years from now, 100 years from now? (laughs) I can remember, Devin, when uh, after so many moves, you try to kind of thin things down. And I remember one time when I looked at my trophies from high school and I said, you know, nobody knows, nobody cares. And I literally threw them away, you know. That, that takes a moment, you know, because you go back and go, there was a day and a time where that was everything. And now it's like nothing. And so um, it's amazing what time does. It, it shows us what matters. It shows us what has value. 
And here it says that Moses was able to say no to the treasures and pleasures of this world because he was looking ahead to his reward. And what would prompt him to look ahead to his reward? That last verse 27, it says that he persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. He, 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 he knew the Lord. He saw the Lord. He had a relationship with the Lord and that transcended everything else. And I want to tell you something. When you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, when you realize what really matters, when you realize that your love for Him and the life you lead for Him is good now, next year, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years from now, when that's the most important thing, it changes your perspective. It changes your value system. Warren Wiersbe said, How did Moses manage to become a man of God after 40 years in pagan Egypt that ended in failure, 40 years in Midian as a humble shepherd, and 40 more leading a funeral march through the wilderness? Life was not easy for Moses, but he triumphed. And in this psalm, he shares his insights so that we too can have strength for the journey and end well, or what I call finish well. So before we read this psalm, let me give you a little bit of background. Notice, if you will, in your Bibles, right above Psalm 90, it says a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And then above that, you're probably going to see something that says Book 4, Psalms 90 through 106. And you might go, what's that? And so let me give you just a moment to kind of digest that. See, Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms because it's written by Moses. And when they arranged the Psalms, you've got to think about it. This is the largest individual book in the Bible. There are 150 chapters of Psalms, or you should say there's 150 Psalms. And when they were collected and when they were arranged, they put them into what they call five books. And Psalm 90 is the first one in the fourth book. And it's put in a strategic place because these five books tend to mirror the themes of the first five books in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so here, if you think about it, um, this fourth book of the Psalms begins with Psalm 90, and it's associated with the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. And what happened in the book of Numbers? They were counted twice. The people of God were counted twice. That's why it's called Numbers, in case you're wondering. And it says that in the book of Numbers, remember the, you sing about this in, in Bible school, that there were 12 spies, 10 were bad, 2 were good, right? And so these spies were sent out to explore the promised land. They came back, 10 said we can't do it, 2 said God wants to give, it, give us the land. The nation of Israel chose what the 10 said, they chose fear over faith, and as a result of their unbelief, the spies were out looking for 40 days, and God says, this generation that didn't believe is going to wander in circles in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for every day that you were out there looking, and then you will die, and your kids will be the ones that will inherit the promised land. Well, I like the way that uh, John Phillips says it. He says, from then on, Israel marched, but she marched without point or purpose. The Israelites simply moved from place to place, leaving behind a trail of bones in desolate graves hollowed in the sand. 
They wandered for 40 years, a year for every day the spies were in Canaan, and God held over the unbelieving people a sand glass of 40 years, during which every man and woman of the older generation would perish. It was as the Israelites turned gloomily back to the burning sands of Sinai that the stately stanzas of this song were written by Moses, the man of God. So just keep in mind that 40-year funeral march, all those people that died because of their unbelief. And imagine Moses writing this psalm, and it's in a serious moment of consequences what happens when people don't trust God and use the, the time and the opportunities they have. We lose time and opportunities. And that is the backdrop, in my opinion, of Psalm 90. So look, if you will, in Psalm 90, I'm going to start in verse 3 for a moment. I want, you, I want you to see the framework of the psalm. In verse 3, Moses says, You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours of the night. Notice the brevity of life. He says, look, the, the time comes where... Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, we all die, and that's it. And it happens quicker than you think. It's the brevity of life. But then notice that Moses focuses on the certainty of death. In verse 5, you end their lives. They sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows, and by evening it withers and dries up. Life can be that fast. Death is certain. And then the next thing I want you to notice that he highlights about this psalm, you have the brevity of life, the certainty of death, and then you have the reality of judgment. Look in verse 7. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. I think Moses is saying that when people live a life of unbelief, they refuse to trust God, they refuse to obey God, they refuse to rely on God's uh, leadership and His blessing, then the consequence is they're on their own. And they wander through life and they just go through circles and cycles, but there's never anything to live for. And they, they die without knowing Christ. Uh, I keep say, wanting to say Paul, but Moses here, he wants us to understand the brevity of life. He wants us to understand the certainty of death. He wants us to realize the reality of judgment. And it's with that backdrop that he shares these words of wisdom. So how do we develop an eternal perspective? I'm going to give you three questions this morning. Three questions that you can ask yourself to help develop an eternal perspective. And the first question is, are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Let's go back to those first two verses in the psalm. He says, Lord, you have been our refuge or dwelling place. 
in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. I love that. Notice it says that you have been our refuge in every generation. That word refuge literally means dwelling place. Okay? When you're at peace with God, you can dwell with Him. You know Him. It's like going to someone's house that you've been to before and you know them personally. You can walk in the back door and say, hey, anybody here? And walk right on in and you're at home. And so here, the Lord is our dwelling place. He, he's before all things. He's above all things. And He has been that throughout every generation because He is God. Now, to bring that down to our level, it reminds me of John 14. And something that Jesus said. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Think about that word home. Think about dwelling place. Is it possible for you and I to be able to say, I can be close enough to the Lord that I feel like I'm at home with God? I mean, can I really kind of have that, that, that relationship to where I can trust Him, I can know Him, I can love Him, and have that, that, that closeness? Well, He says, yes. If you love me, you'll keep my word. That means you'll do what I say. You'll obey me. And my Father will love you, and we will come to you and make our home with you. And the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. This is something, when Jesus talked about, if you love me, you're going to keep my word, and then me and the Father will come, and we'll be at home with you. And he says, I'm not saying this on my own. I'm saying this because it came from the Father who sent me. Jesus is sharing a secret here, something that we need to realize and understand and accept, that God wants that closeness with us. He offers that to us, that God can be our dwelling place. He can be our refuge. He can be the one that we go to, that we lean on, that we cling to. He can be that for each and every one of us. And then I'm reminded of a prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3. It says this, I pray that He, the Lord, may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There it is. You know, when you become a Christian, when you, when you come to Christ, you, you receive Him, He comes into your life. And right there it says that he dwells in your heart through faith. And Paul says, I want that for you, and I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, if you're going to get this, you've got to begin to think about how much God loves you. And he says, I want you to know that you can't comprehend how much God loves you. I mean, he, he puts it in dimensional terms. He says, look, think about the length 
and the width and the height and depth of God's love and to know it's more than just knowledge. You know, you can grow up in church. You can go to Sunday school every week. You can know all of the Bible and church answers. You can have a knowledge right here in your head. But if you don't have Christ in your heart, you're going to miss heaven by 18 inches. It's all about making God your dwelling place. Are you at home with the Lord? If you love Him and you keep His word, He says, I will make my home with you. That the Father and I will come to you. Christ will dwell in your heart through faith and He will be your dwelling place from generation to generation. That's the kind of relationship He wants with us. When William Booth of the Salvation Army was asked, what's the secret of your life, of the way in which God has blessed you and used you? Here's what his answer was. He said, there came a day in my life when I said to the Lord, Lord, you shall have all there is of me, all there is of William Booth. And you know what? That's the secret to having the Lord be at home in your heart. Have you given all that you are to him? That's it. Are you at peace with God? That's where it starts to have an eternal perspective. But it doesn't stop there. It continues. A second question you can ask yourself is, are you asking God for wisdom daily? It's great to know the Lord, okay? But let me tell you something. He saved you so you can serve Him for the rest of your life. And you have to depend on Him each and every day. There will be things that come into your life, decisions that have to be made, opportunities will come, and you have to sort through those. You have to pray through those. Lord, what do you want me to do? And you need wisdom every single day. Don't try to figure it all out on the, on the front end. Living by faith means you trust God one day at a time. Every single day, every single week, month, and year. And so here in Psalm 90, we read the first 11 verses, so jump to verse 12. Look at what Moses says in Psalm 90 verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. I think it's kind of funny that when you talk to people about time, when you talk to people about plans, we tend to think in terms of years. You know, a new year comes on the calendar and we're like, ah, new year, new year's resolution. This year I'm going to, right? And we might do it or we probably won't. But what does Moses say? Don't look at years, look at days. What am I going to do different today? And tomorrow, what am I going to do different tomorrow than yesterday? Start counting your days. If you want to make your uh, days count, start counting your days. Ephesians 5 gives us these words of wisdom. Pay careful attention to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Now notice Paul didn't write the years are evil. He said the days are evil. And we've got to make the most of every opportunity. We've got to make the most of our time. And so every single day matters. Every single day does. And so you and I need to ask God for wisdom every single day. You know, it's funny because in our 
modern day uh, time with all our technology, we think we're saving a lot of time. I feel like many times, including myself, we're wasting a lot of time. Jonathan Edwards, a, a preacher in the 1700s during the Great Awakening era of our uh, early years as a nation, he wrote some resolutions in his journal. Here's what some of them said. He said, resolved never to lose one moment of time but improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolve to live with all my might while I do live. Resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolve to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. I like that one, don't you? In other words, I want to live in such a way that I wish I'd lived that way when I'm at the moment of death's door. I will look back and say, no regrets. I did what I was supposed to do. I did what I should have done. I did what I needed to do. You know, this kind of perspective on life grows out of a biblical wisdom where God teaches us to what? Number our days and gain a heart of wisdom. Warren Wiersbe says we number our years, not our days. But all of us have to live a day at a time and we do not know how many days we have left. A successful life is composed of successful days that honor the Lord. You might say, well, I feel like I've wasted a lot of time. Well, what are you going to do different today? Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about next month or next year. What are you going to do different today, right here, right now? Count your days. The third and final question I'll give you, how to develop an eternal perspective. We talked about, are you at peace with God? Are you asking Him for daily wisdom? And the third final question, are you praying for God's provision and blessing? Are you praying for God's provision and blessing? Look at the last section here of Psalm 90. It begins in verse 13. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us. For as many years as we have seen adversity, let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. And I love that prayer. That's not the only place you find that prayer. Lord, establish the work of our hands. Nehemiah prayed it when he and the people were building the wall around Jerusalem. There's been times in my life where I said, Lord, establish the work of my hands. I, I, I'm doing your work and I want to do your, your work, your way with, with everything in me that, that, that you can give me. I want it to be done right. Lord, you, you, you use me and, and, and establish the work of your hands. A young boy went to a local store with his mother. The shop owner was a kind man. He passed the boy this large jar of suckers and said, Young man, help yourself. But the boy didn't 
he didn't uh, take him up on his offer. So the shop owner pulled out a handful and gave it to him. When they got outside, the boy's mother was surprised that he was shy and that he didn't take the man up on his offer. He says, son, why didn't you grab those suckers when he offered them to you? And the boy said, it's simple, mom. His hand's bigger than mine. I want you to think about that. When you seek God's will, His hand's bigger than yours. Are you just going to ask for little things or are you going to say, God, I want what you want. God, I want your will. God, I want to do things your way. And when you seek God in prayer like that, you're asking God to, to give it to you. And I want to tell you something. His hand's bigger than yours. What He has to give you is better than it would ever be if you did it on your own. When, when you ask Him, He will give the provision and the blessing that's so good that it just overwhelms and it overflows. But you've got to trust Him and you've got to depend on Him. His hand is bigger than yours. That's why Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. Don't just throw on a little prayer, Lord, bless this mess and go on. Don't limit your prayer life to just you know, praying before you go to bed and before you eat. But truly, honestly, seek God. Offer your life to Him. Give all that you are to Him. And each and every day when you ask Him for wisdom, commit yourself to Him. Lord, I'm giving myself to You today. Lord, here's what's on my agenda today, but Lord... I submit it to you. I want to do your will. Lord, open my eyes to opportunities that I encounter today. Lord, fill my mouth with words that I can say what needs to be said as I speak to people today. Lord, I want your will done your way. And so commit yourself to the Lord. And the Bible says your plans will be established. And you know why? Because the Lord will be with you. And when the Lord's with you, that's all you need. That's all you need. And so today, I implore you with all that I can to live life with an eternal perspective. Count your days and make sure you're doing what matters today and a hundred years from now. I can tell you this, when you trust the Lord, when you obey the Lord, when you do those simple acts of obedience as unto the Lord, that's what will stand the test of time. That's what will outlast you tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. When you are just faithful in the little things, when you do what God wants you to do in the moment, in the here and now, all that stacks up and adds up over time to a life of character and integrity and influence and a testimony of what God has done in you and what He can do through you. Well, let's all stand and ushers and musicians, if you would come, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I want to talk to you one more time about days. It says here, Lord, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. You know, the Bible says that the Word of God is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And speaking of days, the Bible says that there is a day of salvation. And the Bible says it's today. Meaning this, today, if you hear the Lord speaking to you, today can be your salvation. When God speaks to someone, when He begins to stir in your heart, when He's clearly speaking to you, hey, I love you. I sent my son to die on the cross for you. I want you to come to me. You have an opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each and every heart. And Lord, that you would have your will and your way in this service and in this invitation. Father, I pray that uh, you would just prepare each of us, Lord. Let us be prepared today and live life today for you before it's too late. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The ushers are going to collect the Next Steps cards. We'd love to have a conversation with you. If you come week in and week out, you want to talk to someone, please fill that out. We'd love to have a conversation with you about whatever your next step is, whether it's joining a church, whether it's uh, serving in a ministry. Maybe you're interested in a disciple group. I know different ones at different times are involved in disciple groups, and those are great opportunities. We, one of our newest disciple groups is a, a mom's group that meets in the middle of the week. They've got that uh, Mommy and Me tree at the uh, Welcome Center. They're trying to help the women's shelter here in town, so if you want to be a part of that, um, you can. Uh, that's a simple way um, that you can help someone in the community. See, that's what disciple groups do. They, they meet anytime, anywhere, three to five people, and then they do service projects. And so we've got people in our congregation right now that are doing things outside these walls because of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. If God's speaking to you today, we're fixing to sing, and then we'll pray. This is your time to respond. The altars are open. Whatever God wants you to do, won't you do it as we sing? Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact a pastor, please visit phbcsomerset.com.